Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member That Yale Thing 2019 shares how he broke into consulting advisory at Big Four straight out of undergrad from a non-target. We cover a serendipitous meeting at a party, how not to get fired when you're trying to transition groups within a firm, plus the virtue of not worrying. A really refreshing episode from a young guest. Hope you guys enjoy. That Yale Thing 2019. Thank you so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Thank you for having me. Could you start off just giving the listeners a quick background? Sure. So I entered uh, sort of consulting through a non-targeted business school out in Boston, one of the three B schools. Uh, you initially majored in finance with an eye to go into either consulting or investment banking. I really knew I wanted to focus on client service. Uh, didn't specifically have a desire to enter the buy side, but definitely liked the client relationship building and that sort of relationship management part of consulting and investment banking. Uh, you know, 2014 was when I first considered major internships in industry, and that was actually a really interesting time within the financial services uh, space, specifically with the advent of Dodd-Frank in summer of 2014. And that was sort of my foot in the door into the world of consulting and regulation and technology. Uh, you know, a lot of banks specifically were trying to understand that title act. And so my first job that got my foot in the door was actually working for a lobby firm in Washington, D.C., sort of helping them decode the you know, multi-thousand page document that was Dodd-Frank for the large banks, for large head funds, anyone that was really a sci-fi that needed to understand the really inner workings of Dodd-Frank. For the, for the listeners, can you, give a quick, can you give a yeah. quick summary just of what Dodd-Frank was? Just for, just for sure. Yeah. So, so Dodd-Frank was, uh, I think it was a 16 title act. Uh, that was an outcome of the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, you know, essentially, the, the premise of it was a lot of non-traditional financial institutions existed. So whether it be insurance companies, mortgage lending schemes, et cetera, that really changed the financial ecosystem within the United States and beyond really on a global scale. And our regulatory framework that we used to regulate financial institutions was really outdated in a lot of ways, given there are multiple schools of thought as to how we should regulate. But, you know, political views aside, you know, it was sort of commonly found that there there was a new necessity that we needed to find a way to regulate these large, big banks and financial institutions in some sort of way. So Dodd-Frank was you know, 16 titles ranging from liquidity requirements of domestic banks to uh, you know, best lending practices in Title Eight and Title IX, to even actually they stuck in something in Title 15 and Title 16 regarding resource material management, so sort of natural resource management, uh, sort of the last bit of political push that was done by the Democrats in 2014 before Canada left office. So you know, it was definitely a multifaceted act, uh, really changed the landscape of financial regulations. And 
created a lot of demand, right, for consulting firms to understand just the nature of regulation, how how banks can really differentiate and offer products that you know are are sort of built because of not in spite of those regulations that give them the upper hand within the new space. So that's so really what how, it was and what it meant to consulting firms. How did you even know to look for an internship that would deal with it? How did you get involved in that? <laughs> that is a longer story. So. My dad works in a, in a bank, actually, and my mom works in real estate. So when 2008 happened, it really hit my family pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was never one of those kids that really, you know, I, I, I like banking, I like consulting, uh, but what really attracted me wasn't necessarily the get-quick-rich scheme. I think the whole makings of the machine really fascinated me, right? Like this, this huge house of cars that was built up until 2008 that just collapsed, right? It's this man-made thing that became beyond our control. And I think that from, from the age of really eighth grade, that, that whole notion of what happened with the sort of CDOs and BSs and, and how the bank structured all those deals, I couldn't understand it at that age, but I knew it was something that really stuck with me because I saw how it in my family. And so going into college, you know, the reason why I majored in finance wasn't necessarily to go into banking, even though that interested me. It was just to understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. So the minute Dodd-Frank came out, I was like, okay, this is the response like this is a governatorial response to what happened. I think in order to better understand what happened, maybe the best way to do it is understand the response to it first and kind of work myself backwards. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you started looking, I mean, how did you come across that specific internship in Washington? How did you end up doing that? Uh, cold emails. Just cold. Really. Uh, got you it. Know, mm-hmm. since I think it was 400 cool emails, got three responses, uh, and frankly, the only reason why I got the internship that I had even gotten into, because I'm not a political science major at all, had no connections on the Hill, uh, there was actually a, f- a friend of mine from my high school I went to who was a policy analyst at that think tank. So was stuck at the second round. They said the whole will be in touch thing, kind of got a bad feeling about it, uh, and went, reached out to my friend and said, hey, like, I'm really interested. You know, Here's some of the stuff I've been doing in college, wrote a couple of white papers, and basically was paid minimum wage to do this because that was what they offered me. So I was living in D.C., you know, four-bedroom apartment, fitting six kids that worked on the Hill. Hmm. And it was, it was a blast. It was, it was really the most fun I've had in a long time. <laughs> and that was, that was between, what, your sophomore and junior year or your junior year? Correct, sophomore and junior year. Yeah. So at, at that point, so you're still I a baby. Kind of you're still a baby at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm still yeah. a baby. I have no idea what I'm doing. Just okay. kind of funnelling my way through that graduate experience. <laughs> Got it. And so, um, what kind of prompted you to kind of switch over to the consulting side? I guess uh, for your junior year internship, it was just kind of what were other people doing it? What prompted that? In, in terms of how did you do your research on the industry and even know what was out there? So I think it was a multi-layered sort of perspective that got me to where I I ended up saying, I'll choose consulting over banking. I think the first thing I realized was I had no sort of outsized desire to enter the buy side. And a lot of my peers at the time were obsessed with the buy side, private equity, hedge funds, whatever it might be. And for me, that wasn't what was driving my interest in finance. So in terms of having to go into banking to do what I wanted to do, that was already off the table. I I didn't need banking to get where I wanted to be. you know, it's funny, actually, because I'm at a point now where I'm actually looking at MBA programs and looking at MBA associates programs in investment banking. Uh, but once again, not because I'm over to the buy side, but because I just want that exposure to valuation and understanding transactions better. Uh, that aside, though, I think what got me to consulting was really the understanding that, you know, I wanted to really have a wide breadth of industry. Uh, you know, the generalist program in consulting firms let me do that in a way that was very fluid, right? Um, you know, within the last three years at the firm I work for, 
I've worked for, and it's everything from European hedge funds to large telecoms in Paris to, you know, my, my last client was a mobility company that was recently part of an IPO, mm-hmm. uh, actually earlier last month. So really had a wide range of experiences within financial services for these companies. And that was really what I was trying to aim at, really. It was just understanding the diversity within finance, more than necessarily just specifically a silo within the industry doing a certain type of valuation. Like doing M&A or doing whatever, or a specific industry group, you, you wanted to kind of get a wider breadth for your first job out of school, it sounds like. Exactly. And that might be a result of the school I went to, honestly. A lot of the kids that broke into some of the better firms, uh, whether it be something like a Harris Williams or a PNC or something like that, right? I mean, we had a kid that got into Lazard, but he only did sell-side M&A for TMT. And that just seemed a bit myopic for me. Got it. So it was, it was almost, do you feel like it was a function of the, the consulting positions coming out of your, let's call it a semi-target or non-target, whatever you want to call it. Do you feel like the positions in consulting were more attractive than the limited banking options you could have coming out of there or that were kind of at least? <laughs> well, my school wasn't a target for either consulting or banking. Right. Uh, consulting okay. really, really, it was the opportunity that I had in front of me combined with what I just told you that I said, this is like, this is the bet I'm going to make essentially. So, Whether it pays off or not, you can always pivot. Yeah. And in terms of the, the actual internship, is it similar to banking in terms of what the consulting where you, this, they hire the majority of their summer interns into the kind of absolutely, thing. absolutely. You'd have to do something pretty heinous to not get a return offer in consulting. Got it. And then specifically for this, you said there wasn't a lot of re- on-campus recruiting at your school for this. And so, how did you land this internship? So the the, the the real story of it is, I was at my friend's dad's 50th birthday party, mm-hmm. and I met someone who, you know, we were just talking about what was happening on the street, just really casual conversation. It was the, the birthday party was actually in New York. So this seemed to be a natural, natural turn of topic. And you mentioned something about Dodd Frank, something pretty obscure that he caught on to that he as well knew about because his specific focus in the consulting firm I worked for was financial services regulation. Interesting. And so, so exactly. And so he's like, how do you know about that? And so I told him about my background, just told him, you know, the, basically the fun I had in DC as well as what I learned in DC. And, you know, we kind of just asked me some questions. I answered them accordingly, just off the cuff. And next thing I know, I got an email next week from the guy who ended up working at the firm I work for now, offering me to be connected to someone who would interview me. So it was very sort of sudden, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where preparation met opportunity mm-hmm. that creates this sort of nebulous thing we call luck, right? I mean, you have to be prepared. I mean, there yeah. were multiple times in that conversation where I could have lost his interest. And frankly, I'm not going to say that I was like some sort of Rain Man saying all these crazy things, but really it was just being able to capitalize at the right time. Do you, did you know that there was kind of an opportunity? Did you know where he worked when you were speaking with him? Or was it more you were just being kind of your natural conversational self and it just, the the opportunity opened up? Or were you conscious during that conversation about that? I think it, it was more the latter to the former. So it started out very fluid. Mm-hmm. And then within, I'd say, probably a quarter of the way through the conversation, I realized what was happening. And sort of started shifting gears without being too obvious, right? Because I think one of the things that these partners don't like is, you know, realizing that they're being shocked, essentially. Right. Realizing that, you know, they're being networked with. You know, <laughs> a lot of these people, they like to talk about themselves, right? So usually when people think about how to network, how to get their foot in the door, they think me, 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 me. But that really isn't the way to do it, right? People love to talk about themselves, talk about their experience, talk about what you'll learn. And you sort of use that and sort of drop in these right references at the right times to talk about what you can bring to the table while learning from them. And it sort of creates that natural conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I think too many people kind of try to turn the focus towards themselves when sometimes the best coffee chats and networking 
conversations happen when you're just talking about that other person and they're, they feel like, well, that person was so, you know, so great. And they were just talking about themselves the entire time. Um, but no, that's great. That's, that's some great insight. Um, okay. So you landed this, this great internship that, uh, at a, at a great firm and, um, you were in this, I assume the financial, this, uh, the same actual division that this partner was in that you had met or, or was it kind of, you were randomly assigned. How did that work out? Yeah, so I was within his group, but I was randomly assigned. So mm-hmm. I actually uh, was assigned to my first project was a asset manager project working on the reimbursement model. Uh, completely different than what the partner did, but in the same industry, same sort of high-level sector of focus. Uh, different product offering, though. And so really what the interest proved to me, I think this is just really crucial for people to understand, especially when you're doing a summer analyst position, is just how key humility is. Because the only two people that didn't get offers from my group were people that I would say were the least humble of the group and presumed they knew the most going into it, right? So I think, you know, it's a delicate balance between humility as well as just understanding that you have something to, to make of yourself there and then just really understanding that you learn that responsibility. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was great. It was different from what the partner offered. It was an eight to 10 week internship. Uh, the last day they walk into a room you know, they ask you how you think it went. They, they gave me an offer going into it. And the, the twist of the story really is I got an offer for a group that I wasn't even involved in. So my summer internship was in financial regulation, financial theory, financial risk. And my offer was actually in technology, which I'm not a technologist at all. I don't know how to code. I don't know anything about tech, really. Right. Uh, but it was given to me. And so did you feel kind of nervous about that because you wouldn't know anybody about the team? What were your thoughts kind of when they kind of did a switch like that? Well, I guess what I thought about more was the fact that I could take it and if I really wanted to go somewhere else and use that to shop, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think what really frustrated me at the time was the fact that I felt like I got sort of bait and switched, right? It was, you know, I did this whole 10-week experience, really committed, really learned the people that were in the practice, tried to get to know them better. And then all of a sudden, I'm being placed in a different city with a different group, so I know no one going into full-time position. And so that was a unique challenge, I think. And especially is a very high potential thing that could happen in consulting compared to banking, right? I think banking is a bit more streamlined. I think there's a bit more of a structure there. Uh, and you know, mind you, this is like a top four consulting firm that I'm talking about. So this isn't some random boutique. This is, you know, it's a national, international firm, wide, multi-billion dollar revenues. Right. So the fact that this happened to me was surprising. And I don't think it's a unique experience by any means. Did you show that kind of disappointment in during the meeting, or you kind of just played along? Or like, great, and then and then kind of what was your thought process going into senior year? Did you immediately start interviewing aggressively to try and see if there were other opportunities? Um, tell me a little bit about that. Right. So I, I basically realized the group I'd be going to, you know, they they had a different work ethic, uh, they had a different sort of bent of mind when it comes to work life balance, which part of the lure, to be completely honest with you, of consulting was. Let's be honest, they don't work nearly as hard as bankers do. I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd say my hardest week at the firm was 90 hours, and that's probably a light week for an you know, investment banking analyst. Right? I, don't know about, so, I don't know about light, but it's, uh, it's, it's common. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And that, that's, a fair, that's a fair point. Yeah. Uh, but definitely by no means abnormal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there's a bit of a difference there, right, in terms of the expectation. And so my thought was, I'm making this much to do this, right? And I'll probably be working least many hours. Now, why can't I just go to banking and make more, right? And essentially end up 
working, you know, maybe a bit more, but at least the payout's higher for me, right? And it's something I'm still interested in anyways. So I ended up interviewing at investment banks. I got an offer at a, a mid-market investment bank in healthcare, uh, Minneapolis-based investment bank. So I, I you know, your, your listeners could probably guess which bank it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's essentially, you know, ended up turning down the offer. And it came down to a question for me of culture and as well as, once again, diversity, right? I realized that you know, the short term, I think people that go through this experience, they tend to put a lot of weight on their first two years out of the gate in college. Yeah. Um, and some of the best partners I've worked for, some of the best MDs I've worked for have extremely non-traditional backgrounds, right? They've, they've taken these tremendous risks. They've, they've failed. They've kind of picked themselves back up and gone and failed again. Um, I don't think that the sort of garden path laid before a lot of first-year associates, first-year analysts, whether it be consulting or banking, is A, in any way a guarantee, but B, in any way a, a surefire methodology to climb, you know, that ladder, so to speak. Okay, so you're you're kind of interviewing, you get the offer for banking. It's in Minneapolis. You're thinking to yourself, do I really want to go to Minneapolis? Maybe, maybe not. But there's culturally, you're, you're not from there. Um, you don't feel as comfortable. Is that kind of what I'm picking up on? With, with the culture there? No, uh, culture was actually a group in Minnesota. So okay. I was totally fine with Minneapolis as a location. Mm-hmm. It was more of the culture of the firm. I think Got you it. realize, you know, it does matter what you do, but what matters more so is the culture of the firm you work for. And it's not to say that the bank I was looking at had a bad culture. In fact, in a lot of ways, the people that work there that I highly respect, you know, they love the culture out there. But for me, it just wasn't a bit at the time. Got it. Okay, so and, and, yeah. can you talk, talk to me a little bit more about... Um, that final final decision. So you ended up staying with the consulting firm, correct? That you had. Correct. I stayed with the consulting firm. Exactly. Yeah. And I so, stayed with the consulting firm. I started networking heavily internally. Got it. And so tell me a little bit about kind of any transitions you made there and kind of what happened and um, specifically how you actually managed that. There's a lot of people who try to transition internally. And even though, you know, you were at a larger firm, that maybe has some of these processes in place. I know it can be uh, politically difficult. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that and just how you navigated that delicate process? Sure, definitely. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think the first thing you ought to do when you try to navigate or transfer internally, at least within the consulting world, is create a lot of demand for what you deliver, right? Uh, even though you don't like to do it, I think I think executing well is just, it's such a table stakes thing, right? I think people forget that when they try to transfer internally. They think, oh, I won't be doing this five years from now, two years from now, who cares about my quality of work, right? But r- regardless of if you like what you do or not, I, I think that people talk, especially within consulting, you know, especially within the, like the partnership model, right? Mm-hmm. So if you end up under-delivering in any aspect on something that you don't like, right? Because even if you are in a group that you like doing something that you generally like doing, there are going to be times in your career that you're going to do something you just don't want to do. So to show that, you know, in spite of it being a known fact, you don't like what you're doing, that you can come to the table with that teamwork, that collaboration, you know, drive progress, drive the client relationship, and really build really strong deliverables in a timely fashion. I, I think that those skills are really highly valued. So I think I, I just spent the first, the first six months probably really focusing on that, really focusing on my execution, on making sure that I make who I'm working for happy. Um, and in the meanwhile, you know, because on consulting firms, it's usually Monday, Thursday travel. So every Friday, I get lunch with someone different. Just someone different in the company, whether, you know, I ended up walking out and saying, thank God I'm not in that group or, <laughs> oh my gosh, I want to be in that group. <laughs> you know, kind of one or two options, really. And from there, sort of narrowing down, okay, where do I want to fit in this whole consulting firm's world? Like, where, where do I belong? Where's my, really, my consulting family within this place, right? So it was a very strategically thought out process. 
six months to a year, I was in a group that I frankly didn't didn't enjoy, didn't like at all, and um, you know ended up essentially internally transferring out of the result of doing that every week for basically straight up fifty to fifty one weeks. Wow! So you met with a ton of people and kind of got a good sense of where you wanted to be, um, and then specifically, did you? How did you kind of start? I know you were delivering well, and so there was a positive. You kind of had a good reputation. It sounds like within the firm. So did you? How did you kind of first bring it up to your to your boss or to a? I don't know who do you even go to your boss. Do you go to the 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 other partner that leads the other group? Yeah. So actually, the way I brought it up to. I sort of reversed it a bit. I didn't bring it up to who I was currently working for. Mm-hmm. I brought up I brought it up to who I was who I wanted to work for. So I sort of went to the group that you know I talked to. I figured, okay, this group's a fit for me. So for me, it was analytics, strategy, and blockchain was sort of the mm-hmm. the group that I ended up fitting into the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just within what we call you know FRTR, which is a different group came all together. Um, so for us, that you know I ended up talking to those partners first and saying, hey, I like what you do. I would love to come work for you. Is there any way we can make something work? And, you know, it's sort of a learned innocence, right? Of saying, okay, well, you know, who are you working for currently? What's the deal? Would you not like doing that? In no way that I tell them I was necessarily unhappy, just that I thought that what they were doing was better fit. It's all about the spin of the positivity. Right. Uh, you know, sort of making sure that you're a team player, making sure that you, you don't really complain about what you're working for, because I think the natural question that comes out of it is, okay, if you complain about them now, what about me in the future? Right, right. right. So remaining so, positive, just you know, talking more about the fit and what interests you, and in that type of um, you know, framing it in that context. Exactly, because I mean, the, the honest truth is, you might be miserable, but no one likes a miserable person that's at work, right? That that's you should bring that bring that home, bring that stuff home, talk about it to your girlfriend, to your to your family, whatever. But in terms of work, especially positivity is just an important characteristic for sure. Great. And then, into any, are you involved at all in the recruiting for new kind of analysts coming in or interns or anything like that? And do you have any kind of guidance you'd you'd give to people that are kind of in the recruiting process right now? Uh, yes, I am involved uh, slightly. I'm actually leaving the firm in August, so I'm, I'm winding down this recruiting season. Uh, but I, I would say that you know, biggest piece of advice, which is probably it's probably not traditional advice to give, but I think it speaks a lot. Uh, definitely write thank you notes, physical thank you notes. Those go a long way. I think people don't expect them nowadays. And frankly, I don't know if this is just a spurious correlation, but I've seen a high cross routine candidates that do that, that take the thought and effort to do that to recruiters, to partners, to whoever, uh, and, and sort of sticking in the mind, right? Being at the top of the pile. Because a lot of times consulting, you know, everyone can memorize the case, right? I mean, the case is the baseline, right? Understanding the case, knowing the case, being able to speak to it, think about it in multiple ways, but what differentiates you is your personality and, and your willingness to really get to know someone, right? Because at the end of the day, client service is about that relationship. And we like to think that when you're stuck on a plane, delayed in some random airport in the middle of you know, nowhere USA, you know, you're going to have to like the person you work with. And so right. that's sort of what we look for outside of the case. Interesting. And is it something where that's actually, you know, you, you ask more of kind of the fit type questions and you're kind of testing that in terms of, are they genuine? Are they authentic? Is that kind of what you're looking for? Or is it more, are they fun? Or is it kind of just a combination? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say definitely fit is a big thing in terms of, you know, really personality-based questions, right? Understanding someone's someone's tact, someone's sort of personality at a higher level. Uh, you know, oftentimes if I see a candidate who I believe is well-qualified in terms of the case itself, mm-hmm. I'll breeze through the case, which I, I can tell makes them nervous because they might think they may mess it up. But really, you know, I can tell the nuts and bolts are there, right? They think they get they get the point of the case, they get what they're talking about. 
But then it's okay. You know the paper, but can you can you sort of speak to your personality, speak to what your interests are, right? Or are you, are you flat? Are you two-dimensional? Are you someone that just did this, memorized it, came here expecting you to hire a robot? Right. Right. So I think I think that's the differentiator. Absolutely, it's super important for client services, right? So I mean that you're if if the firms can actually put you in front of a client, it's important that you can actually be a human being, right? So. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, yeah. Actually, I had a crazy experience. Actually, my my last client, we, they. They had a request to our firm if they wanted to interview everyone that came onto the project. And so on my sort of internal CV, it said, you know, avid reader. And they asked me, okay, so name a book you've read. And I named one, right? And they said, okay, name another one. Okay, named them, described them. And they kept hammering me with what books had you read. Right? Because <laughs> everyone can say they're an avid reader, but can you name actually the, the five or six books that come to mind? Right? I'd be in trouble if they asked me that, but yeah, continue. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time, man. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, with the three kids, I mean, I don't know, I had no time to read. But anyway, so continue. So yeah, they kept hammering you. Uh, name another book. How many? How many books did they make you name? They... I, I went probably I went four down with like a thirty second description of each, and they they finally believed me and sort of chuckled about it. And actually, the the client stakeholder who did that to me, we ended up laughing about it later. I was like, I know what you were trying, you know, about Wikipedia exactly. But that's it's funny, funny because yeah, be careful with the word text avid. Text. Be careful with the word avid. Anything on your resume. That's the, <laughs> yeah, I think that's the avid lesson here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> avid or extreme or expert. I think yeah, right. you may want to right. yeah, yeah, you may right. want to stay away from those words on your CV. But um, absolutely <laughs> great. Uh, anything else? Do you mind actually sharing a little bit in terms of your pay and your ranges? I know people are usually interested about to hear about that. I know for consulting, sure, it's a little I, more standard, so it's not anything surprising, but for, for people that don't know. No, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm paid just below six figures. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm high, high, you know, high fives. I'm, I'm obviously below 100K, but sort of sitting in, that, in the comfortable 80 to 90 range, uh, depending on the bonus, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say that, you know, kind of a tip on pay, especially with consulting, is, you know, especially with the travel we do, it's really easy to end up having like a sort of what I call a, a higher real income because I probably only spend money on myself eight days a month, realistically. Right. So yeah, you're 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 I mean, expensing a lot <laughs> when oh you're traveling. God, yeah, yeah. you sure. don't pay for your food basically ever. So um, in terms of uh, ne- what's next for you, what's the what's the plan? I think you mentioned earlier on you were considering MBA, maybe banking. What's is is that something you're still strongly considering? What stage are you in? Yeah, so I I definitely am going on the MBA. You know. MBA route for sure. That's in the cards. Uh, whether it's next year or the year after depends on, frankly, just the caliber of school I get into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm I'm on the younger end, so I'd say the average the average age I've seen or the median age I've seen is I think I'd say 27, 28. I'm three years younger than I'm 24 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, just just playing that game is is going to be crucial going into it. But for now, I'll be leaving for a tech startup. I'll be their head of analytics, which is once again funny because I don't have a technical background. But it's it's a analytics strategy position, uh, building out a company's analytics capabilities within the agricultural supply chain space. So, Fascinating. You know, that sounds uh, really cool. Yeah. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So I'll be moving actually to India to do that. Uh, you know, I've been given a mandate. You know, basically it's a two-year mandate. You know, or less depending on my availability. You know, build out a team of six to ten people over the course of those two years and sort of build these, what we call these data products, right? So basically, imagine how Uber has an API that people can look at live traffic data. Mm-hmm. Let's build something for our end users that is going to be really interesting in the ag space, agricultural space, whether it's going to be a B2B API or B2C, kind of building out that sort of differentiator for the products, which creates a creative value for the valuation. 
For sure. Yeah, that sounds really cool. So that's that's coming up soon. You're going to be making that move, what, in the next few months? Uh, yes, absolutely. I, my, my, I'll be joining in the fall of 2019 for that company, applying to grad schools that same fall. Uh, frankly, not necessarily recommended. It's just for me, the timing's a bit strange because, you know, the, the two-year up-and-out model for consulting didn't really apply to me. I was at the firm for three years. Right. Uh, mainly because I, I, I chose first to go up and then realized I wanted to go out. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Got it. So, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And then uh-huh. in terms of uh, anything else you want to share with the listeners before we, we end the podcast? Any kind of words of wisdom or something you wish you had known when you were younger? Not that you're that old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's funny. Uh, I, I would say that the big thing I've learned over the last six years is, um, and, you know, I run the risk of sounding, you know, maybe a bit too optimistic. Right. Um, but there is virtue in not worrying, I'd say. You know, I, I think that I, I just remember so many kids that would apply to those summer analyst positions at the banks or the consulting firms, not get them and freak out. Right. What are they going to do next? You know, that it's the sort of the be all end all. This is the hill I die on. You know, it's Deutsche Bank or nothing. Maybe it's a bad example. It's Goldman or nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I just think that that sort of that sort of mentality it just leaves you sort of in a drought, right? Where you don't really look at and see the whole forest for the trees, and that's that's kind of a problem, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, it sets you up for failure. It sets you up for this sort of myopic mindset where you don't really see the value in other things as much. Um, and that's actually advice I got, not even from someone in my firm. That's actually advice I got from a banker, which I think says volumes, right? Um, yeah, a lot I of think, people that end up working banking say that. Absolutely. I think what happens is there's it's put on such a pedestal when you get there and then you realize, wait a second, this isn't the the glamour I thought, the glamorous life I thought I'd be living. It's, it, the reality hits you <laughs> um, that this is a job and there's a lot of grunt work to be done and, and the hours are brutal and um, – Yes, it's it's a great step. It's your great first first job out of school. It's one of the best, I'd say, in terms of actually developing skills and and exit opportunities. But it's also um, you have to sacrifice a lot. So I think uh, you know there's there's no ever I, I feel like I made it you know uh, moment. It's, it should be something where you enjoy the journey, right? And so um, I I would say yeah, virtue and not worrying is a very important thing um, to to kind of preach to to the listeners here and. You know, whether you get into your top choice or second choice or you're scrambling to get into a boutique, it's something where, um, yeah, you should be positive, you know, remain positive and just try your best. Exactly. And it's, it's a long, it's a long winding road, right? I mean, mm-hmm. no one says you have to do right out of college, right? I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you, you, you see people that make a life out of banking and they don't even start being bankers until they're 20 or 30, right? So you know, but then I guess the, the traditional thing I always think about when I was that age, when I was like 19 or 20, I just, I just used to think, I think I used to say something like, oh, well, they can say that because they've made it, right? And I, right. in no ways have I, well, I call myself as having made it. I don't want to come up like that at all. But, you know, still, it's just, it's just funny to think that, you know, I think that stress is almost superimposed on yourself in some way. For sure. I mean, I think it's kind of a little bit of group thinking. Uh, we try to have some doses of reality on Wall Street Oasis, but sometimes it doesn't help. So hopefully uh, people, professionals can keep kind of dosing reality <laughs> into the forums. <laughs> but anyways, um, anyways, thanks so much for uh, joining the podcast. That Yale thing 2019. Really appreciate all your wisdom that you share with the listeners. Well, much appreciated. Thank you for having me. Awesome, man. Talk soon. And thanks to you, my listeners. If you have any feedback at all, please send it through patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. And remember, you can book time with this specific guest or any one of our 270 mentors by going to services, find your mentor.
Take care. Thank you.